Well, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many people have heard or maybe still hear or say this phrase a lot? You better get your priorities straight. Or maybe it's directed towards someone else. So-and-so over there, they better get their priorities straight. I feel like high school age and, and right after is where I heard it the most. As adults were trying to help teenagers get their priorities straight. I think it was used for mostly preparation for building up to getting a good job or whatever was coming next so that folks could be successful. And the priorities that needed to be straightened out were usually things like getting good grades in school versus partying or messing around with friends all the time. Or maybe for athletes, it was to get to practice and hitting the gym regularly, to keep your physical abilities in front of things so that you could contribute to your sport as much as possible. For the most part, the priorities people were encouraging others to get straight had to do with setting themselves up for success in whatever the next phase of life was. For high school students, it was gearing up for college. For college students, gearing up for for work. For someone working full-time, it might be gearing up to buy a house and start a family. The warning about priorities implied that if you did not focus on the right priorities, you were you were not putting yourself in the best position for whatever was next. Not creating good study habits, for example, in high school might make college more challenging. Not thinking about or worrying about a full-time job until after you graduate college might leave you jobless and back into your parents' basement when you should be out on your own. It was just easy to identify people that didn't have their priorities straight. People would comment about them. Johnny, they really need to get their priorities straight if they want a good job. But no matter what season of life you're in, keeping priorities is difficult. In high school, many of us are exploring a newfound social life with friends. We're also under enormous peer pressure, and being accepted by our friends and peers can end up being a real priority, making daily choices that influence our social standing more important than thinking about college or working After high school, when we're out on our own, we're exploring and discovering all kinds of other new things about the world. And following that typical path, then we get our first full-time job, hopefully in the field of your study. And then we're trying to figure out how to maintain the social life we just had while being a good worker. And fast forward to being a new parent. Many of you, I'm I'm sure, remember the first birthday you celebrated. I remember thinking, I'm so relieved we kept this kid alive for a year. (laughs) The stakes changed significantly. Keeping priorities took on a whole new meaning uh, when other lives start depending on you. If you screw up your priorities, you're not just screwing up your own life, but someone else's also now. Despite these traditional stages or common ones, everyone's walk through life is very different. For example, I didn't go to traditional college after high school. I started working full-time at a job that I had while I was in high school, and by the time I got around to college, I was taking adult classes at night. That's also when I started a family. I was a new husband and father, working all day and spending a couple evenings a week away at class. And looking back at how fast that time with my kids went by and what I missed out on, I'm not sure I had my priorities straight. The dictionary defines a priority as something that is more important than other things and that needs to be done or dealt with first, or things that someone cares about and thinks are important. 
a good way to figure out what our current priorities are is to take a look at where we spend most of our time and money. That will reveal what our priorities really are, whether we realize we had them or not. Thinking back to times in my life and where I've spent time and money, here are some priorities I had. Trying new restaurants with friends regularly. Traveling for work. Buying new computers so I could enjoy the latest games. And ushering at church regularly. It seems like a fairly normal list of things, but thinking about that definition I just read, I got to wonder, were they more important than other things that needed to be done or dealt with first? Priorities aren't really about whether something is good to do or not. It's just about where they fall compared to other things. So here's the same list, but let me read it a different way. Going out to restaurants away from my family instead of being at the dinner table with them. Spending money on restaurants and new computers rather than setting money aside for family vacations. Choosing a job that keeps me away from my kids for week-long travel and missing some important first experiences that I can't ever get back. Showing up to church by obligation once a month because I was on the schedule rather than investing in my faith walk and being active in my faith community. I'm not saying there was anything wrong with my first list, but in being reflective of my own experiences, I wanted to give examples that everything we do is at the expense of something else. Every minute we spend, just like dollars, is a choice. When I showed up to usher on those Sundays because I was on the schedule, I was choosing to be here at church, but the other Sundays, when my name wasn't there, I was choosing to do something else, like sleep in. There are a lot of things in life that need to get done. Some are urgent, some are important, some are both, and some are neither. I've spent my share of time on things that are not important and not urgent. And I'm thick-headed and stubborn, so it's difficult for me to be aware of when I'm doing things that aren't quite exactly the right things. I mean, at any given moment, I feel at that time that I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. And where this falls apart is when I haven't looked to God for direction, when I've gone off on my own and set my own priorities. It takes a lot of effort for me to quiet my mind and get myself tuned into God's voice, but that is where the real priorities lie, with our Lord and Savior. And as we've talked about many times, he's got a plan far greater than anything I could come up with. And what he's made clear through his word is that he is our priority above all other things. Sometimes God gives us truths that are difficult for me to wrap my head around. There are aspects of my faith that I grapple with. Today's gospel message is an example. I think it's a, an admirable core value to put your family first. And it's a, an instinct as a parent to put our kids above everything else. And so when Jesus tells me, as he does in our gospel, that he comes before everyone, even our sons and daughters, it's a bit uncomfortable for me to think through that, or the idea of loving him more than our earthly father and mother. These are challenging words for me. Our Old Testament reading seems less difficult. Moses lays out pretty clearly what God told him to teach us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And later, Jesus gives us a priority around this commandment. 
as he answers a challenge from the Pharisees about what the most important commandment is. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 38, Jesus said, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy here. And then he goes on to say, This is the first and greatest commandment. He gave us our first priority, spoken directly from God to Moses and on to us, and later repeated by Jesus. God has given us a blueprint for, for priorities. Back in chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus emphasizes this using these more challenging words that I was talking about a minute ago. As he's instructing his 12 apostles, it's verse 37 that stands out to me when Jesus says, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Jesus leaves no gray area about our priority. And I think when I first read this, my mind jumped to kind of a rebuttal. I thought, how could I not love my father or mother or my son or daughter? But that's not what Jesus is saying here, of course. But my reaction just seemed offensive and uncomfortable. I remember a wedding of a couple of friends of mine years ago, and their pastor was telling them during the ceremony that as they each grew in their faith and expanded in their love of God, they would learn how to love one another even more. And it's when I finally put these two thoughts together that I realized that God was really speaking something reassuring to me in these other verses that I thought were really challenging, though not without a warning. The warning, which I think is what this passage is more about, is that when we give ourselves completely to Christ, those around us that have not may not understand that and may turn against us. But our priority is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And through that love, we will learn to love those around us as children of God. If we put our earthly relationships above our heavenly relationship, the cost is too great to imagine. In Jesus' words, we would be not worthy of being mine. And if those around us start to turn against us, as painful as that would be, we need to stay focused on God. He is our priority, even over and above our own family. The beautiful part of that is that, just like I heard at that wedding, our capacity for love will be far greater and deeper with God than without. In the Truth Project, Del Tackett talks about gazing upon the face of God. As he digs through scripture and talks about examples that God provides us, that's him gazing upon the face of God. And as we do that this morning with these scriptures, God shows us that we really need to pay attention to our priorities. The cost for not prioritizing the right things is steep. On the other hand, the reward for keeping our priorities straight is great. In another verse in chapter 10 of Matthew, um, but backing up a few verses to 32, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And on the other side of this is the cost in verse 33. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus lays out a priority and told us in advance what the cost would be if we don't stick to it. We may be turned away by people closest to us, but we can't afford to be turned away 
by Jesus and denied by our Heavenly Father. A priority, again, something that is more important than other things and that needs to be done or dealt with first. Last week, Pastor Gary started a sermon series titled First Things First. And I love this because I'm a huge fan of Stephen Covey. And I don't know if Pastor Gary is or not. And I have no idea if this sermon series came from Covey's thoughts. But in Covey's most recognized book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he goes through each of the seven. And habit number three is put first things first. And here Covey talks about priorities and organizing your time. He's got a whole system of categorizing activities. He talks about these four quadrants and outlines the importance of focusing on one of those quadrants, which is things that are important but not urgent activities. We, you know, we have no idea when Jesus is coming back. It could be tomorrow, or it could be beyond our time here on this earth. One thing is for sure, though, it does not always feel urgent like other things in life do. And this is the trap I think Covey warns us about. When we ignore things that are important but not urgent... Things are going to be very difficult for us. But when we keep chipping away at those important, non-urgent things, by actually putting the first things, the, our priorities, really first in our lives, we will see a huge positive difference. And that's from an earthly and an eternal perspective. If we really put Jesus first in our lives, we'll receive rewards that are hard to fathom. We will be acknowledged before our Heavenly Father by His Son. I want to finish this morning by, with a couple of thoughts and, and building on something Pastor Gary talked about last week. He shared some scripture from the book of Revelation in chapter 3. And in verse 15, Jesus is speaking there and says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. This made me think of some wisdom that I really like from Jim Rohn. I've shared some of his thoughts before, and in one of his talks, he goes through what he calls the diseases of attitude. And uh, I'm going to share a video clip here in a minute, and, and we'll end there. But Rohn's talking about the disease of indifference, the mild approach to life. And Rohn doesn't quote Revelation necessarily, but he talks about that specific verse. He talks about how we shouldn't live our lives lukewarm, but we should be hot or cold, one way or another. And I want to share, this is, the clip will talk about, you know, his version, his rendition of Paul's conversion, and I think it drives some of these points home better than I could. So three things I'll ask you to keep in mind uh, through that and as you leave today. First, keep your priorities straight. Jesus is our priority, first and above all else. Second, if Jesus is not your priority, great news, you can change your priorities, all you have to do is make up your mind and just change it. Roan gives a great example through Paul's conversion about changing priorities. And third, with your priorities now all straightened out, don't suffer from this disease of mildness. As Roan says, put everything you've got into everything you do. And forgive the video, it's from the 80s. And those of you who are around in the 80s will recognize that. But the content, I think, is timeless, so let's take a look. Lord needs a leader for the early Christians. Remember the early days of the Christians? Not like today. 
If you were to stand up in the early days and say, I'm a Christian, cut off your head, toss you and your wife in jail, let you rot. I mean, those were ugly days. Being a Christian back then was not called socially acceptable. They didn't have 125,000 in the Los Angeles Coliseum to hear Billy Graham on a Sunday afternoon. Not back in those days. Back in those days when the Christians got in the Coliseum, it was a different story, right? I mean, the word was, stay out of the Coliseum, especially on Sunday. Last Sunday was Lions 33, Christians nothing. See, those were mean, tough, struggle days for the Christians. Now, when the days are mean and tough and struggling, you've got to have some kind of leader. Do you know who the good Lord picked for the leader when the days were mean and ugly? Saul from Tarsus. That's who he picked, Saul. I'll tell you what, I would have picked him. You would have picked him. Anybody would have picked Saul. Saul was one of those incredible guys. Once he got into something, look out. Everybody in the community knew what Saul was in. Because whatever he joined, he'd flip all the switches, open up all the dials, turn on all the faucets and go like mad. He was known as all out Saul. I mean, he was something else. Now, at first, it wasn't working out well. Saul hated Christians, which makes a poor leader, right? I mean, that won't work. Saul got this bug somewhere about the Christians. He got to hating Christians. And he hated them so bad, every time somebody would say Christian, he'd fly into a rage. And I guess he decided one life, or one day, it was his mission in life to get rid of all the Christians. He was Saul anyhow, could do most anything he wanted to. So he got in these letters of authority to go around to the various communities and hunt down the Christians. They said, do whatever you want to with them, Saul. They're unpopular anyhow. Drag them in the streets, whip them, stone them, torture them, kill them. You mention the name Saul from Tarsus to the early Christians. I'll tell you what they would do. They would run, hide, lock the doors, leave town, dive underground. I've been in the catacombs of Rome where they hid. He was mean. I mean, terribly mean. But remember the story? One day Saul's making it for Damascus. Heard about some new Christians, flies into a rage, takes off for Damascus. And the story said he was angry. There's a little sentence in the story that says, on his way to Damascus, he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter, which meant he felt rather strong about the idea, right? <laughs> that's strong, that's strong. But on this journey, right, according to the story, as Saul was making his way to Damascus, the good Lord looks down out of heaven and says, there's my man, Saul. He's got to be something else. And according to the story, this great light shines out of heaven, knocks him flat, right off his horse, grinds his face in the dirt, and blinds him for three days. The good Lord using recruiting tools we can't use. But <laughs> when you're Lord, right? To make a long story short, Saul from Tarsus becomes converted to Christianity. He becomes Paul the great leader, the apostle. And without a doubt, the good Lord got him a dandy. One, he didn't have to pump up every month. <laughs> In one of his later writings, he said, the things I once hated, I now love. The things I once loved, I now hate. See, that's strong. Here's the key to the good life. Learn to put 
everything you've got into everything you do. Whatever you are doing, pour it on. It will quickly open up into opportunity or quickly disclose to you that you ought to be doing something else. Please rise as we confess our faith in the words of the Apostles'